This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Five podcast. I am Carl Jensen with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. Doug, we have a very special guest today, as they all are. Who are you and what do you do? Hi, I'm Chris Hutchins. I am a, I guess, recovering entrepreneur in the startup world turned uh, podcaster like you all. So I have a podcast called All the Hacks. I am probably too obsessed with life optimization, when it, whether it's money or travel, have millions and millions of credit card points, and I don't know like to eat food. <laughs> awesome. So we are going to get into the optimization in a moment, but I think Chris, you and I probably first met around the plane with fire days. You were famously featured in that movie. Remember that? I do. Yeah. Financial independence is a, a thing that I kind of came to without realizing it was a thing. So when I found out it was a thing, I was like, Oh, I want to get more, more in, 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 into this. And I think a little bit over time, it's kind of like been, maybe I don't want to be as into this because I maybe I shouldn't be as frugal as as the community often is. Cool. So and on this episode, we're going to talk about optimization. We might talk a little bit about financial independence and Chris's hacks. If anyone hasn't listened to Chris's podcast, it is intense, man. You, you know your shit. You go into details and it's pretty amazing. If you want to go to Iceland or someplace like that, Chris is the place to go to. But first, I want to back up a little bit and talk about Ramit Sethi. Uh, you interviewed him on April 19th. And as you know, Mindy and I were on his show. And when Mindy and I went on there, I thought, uh, I'll back up another second. I thought it'd be an easy conversation. Like Mindy kind of knows this guy. He's going to go easy on us. But he's an intense mofo. Oh. <laughs> are, are you, I thought I was going to throw up after talking to him. But it was it was rough. <laughs> How do you know him, Chris? And what are your conversations like with him? Funny enough, we met because um, a mutual friend of ours connected us when Ramit was asking, how do I level up my credit card points game? And so Ramit wanted to talk to someone, but he didn't want to talk to someone who was like, open this card. Like He wanted the kind of like crazy strategy that was a little more tailored to, you know, his, his net worth. And he talked to me and we hit it off and I helped him figure out a strategy that wasn't too in the weeds and wasn't too much work, but would maximize his earning and, and rewards. And ever since then, we've done all kinds of random, interesting projects and he's been on my show and um, we've talked about every aspect of, of personal finance. He's helped me try to learn how to spend money because it's something I'm not good at. Uh, and we've become good friends. So regarding the space of credit card, not credit card hacking, but just optimization and what you talk about on all the hacks. Does Ramit ever give you shit about going too far with your own work? All the time. Uh, I think Ramit's <laughs> kind of big thing is he's like, you've got to play the game at the right level. And so, he, you know, he always says like, don't ask $3 questions, ask $30,000 questions. And I think that's what he calls me out on all the time. He's like, why are you optimizing for the wrong thing? Why are you, why are you trying to figure out what to order at the restaurant when you should be figuring out like what business to start next or, you know, what major life decision you want to do or what company you want to build. And so he pushed me a lot there. I had another conversation with a guy named Bill Perkins who wrote a book called Die With Zero that really pushed me down that path as well. And I think that's the bulk. So, so Ramit's the person I always text when I'm like, I just bought, uh, I just booked an expensive hotel room, Ramit. You'd be so proud. 
what, awesome. What's one big thing that Ramit has caused you to change your, to change your mind about? I think it's just the constant reminder that time is valuable. There are, and there are more important things you can optimize. So, you know, if you, 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 yes, you could optimize, you know, for which grocery store has the cheapest items and save five, $10 here, or you could take that time and really more mental burden than time, right? Like if you take that mental energy and apply it towards how you're going to negotiate your next salary raise or, you know, something that's going to have a, a thousand or $10,000 impact on your life that year is just a much better use of time. And so I've learned to not, you know, I, I think his, it comes off as stop optimizing. It's, no, no, no. It's not stop optimizing over the little things. It's just start optimizing on the big things. And, you know, I've applied that to treating the podcast like a business and, and trying to optimize the way it makes money. And, uh, my wife will be joining all the hacks full time next month. And that's possible because I spent, you know, the last two years really treating all the hacks as a business that could sustain our life and all the things we do instead of optimizing on, you know, how to save money at the grocery store or how to cut $3 expenses here and there. And I listened to your episode with Ramit just the other day and then bought, I don't know, like three pounds of berries. It was ridiculous <laughs> coming out of Costco. Organic. I mean, this is a high, high dollar stuff, but yeah, I love berries too. So I, <laughs> I know why the conversation goes there all the time. Now, a crazy thing, just talking about the pod is I saw you, I met you for the first time FinCon last year, you, you gave a great talk. And then I, I thought, hey, I recognize this guy's voice because I heard you on the Tim Ferriss show where you guys talked about like just growing the podcast and what, what he's done. Amazing, like several hour uh, conversation. I've listened to it a few times, but can you share some of the like growth and like where the podcast is these days? Yeah. So that was a fun conversation. And, and it was, I emailed Tim and I was like, Tim, I have a lot of questions. Like I want to start a podcast and I don't want to just, you know, half it. I want to like go all in. I want to like learn everything I can. So can you tell me everything you want or everything you know? And he was like, what questions do you have? And I sent him a list of like 45 questions. And at the end of the list, he was like, do you really want to know all these questions? It's funny because I also asked him, you know, I was trying to grow my own podcast. I was like, hey, would you ever want to have me on your podcast? And he was like, are these first 44 questions just a ruse for you to ask the 45th question of can you come on my podcast? I was like, no, no, no. I don't care if I come on your podcast. I was just, you know, I'm genuinely going to ask that. Uh, but I care about the other questions. He's like, okay, well, if you don't care about coming on the podcast, then why don't you come on the podcast and ask me the 44 questions? And we spent three hours. And, you know, what I took from that was that it's just so important to really understand what you care about, do it for you. And, and that often leads to the best content. And so what I've been doing with all the hacks for the last two years is really focusing everything on what content I think will be the most interesting and that I love. And I think that comes through. And so sometimes there's an episode where someone's like, well, I don't love that thing. And I'm like, I know, but I do. And it's the passion that I have for the topics that I think comes out such that when it is an episode about something someone's really interested in, it just, it really hits a nerve. And so that means it went from being all interviews to sometimes I go really deep. So I went probably as deep as anyone could and definitely shouldn't go on insurance. I think I wanted to reprice all of our policies because 
uh, our auto insurance went up. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to go and find three or four brokers. I'm going to go to every issuer, every single one of them. Like I probably went to 40 issuers and, and priced out policies or found out that I couldn't and talk to brokers and talk to the fancy policies from like the high net worth insurance companies all the way up and down the ones you get when you join AAA and compared everything and did a whole episode that was like me explaining my 50 hours of insurance research in one. That was something I was really excited about. And it wouldn't have fit the format at the beginning because at the beginning, I was like, this is an interview show. And I was like, oh, okay. And Carl, you mentioned Iceland. I've always wanted to go to Iceland. And so I met someone who knew everything about Iceland. Like we're talking, went to Iceland for six months, stayed at every hotel, went to every fjord head, ate at every restaurant. It's like a small enough country you could do that. So we made a whole episode on everything you need to know to plan an amazing trip to Iceland. And I've just started doing that. And it's really grown far beyond my wildest dreams. And there's this whole community of people who love finding out how to do something in the most efficient, optimal way, and um, but not having to get so much in the weeds. And I like kind of doing that work for them. So you don't need to go spend 50 hours doing your insurance policies. You could just listen to the episode. And I've had, I think, the highest savings from that episode was someone sent me an email and said that after listening to that episode, they saved $14,000. Whoa. Um, so that was, you know, it makes all the, all the time I spend worth it. So that's where we're at today. Um, we've launched a membership. We're actually going to be taking trips. So that Iceland trip, I actually got Brandon Presser, the guy I interviewed. We're going to organize the trip he described. And me and him are going to lead a group of, I think, however many people fit in two vans in Iceland, which might be like 14 people to Iceland to go on that, like the best trip you could take in Iceland. So we're, you know, we're just trying to, figure out what all the hacks evolves to um, members, trips, deals, discounts, all kinds of stuff. Is that Iceland trip? Is that something uh, your listeners can get in on asking for a friend? Yeah. yeah. Um, so when I started this, this membership, the idea long-term was that I wanted a way that we could build out something like AAA, but for our generation. So like, what's the organization you can go join and get a bunch of great deals and get access to interesting products and services, but that doesn't feel like I'm joining something my grandparents belong to. And so what I started doing was going to brands that I liked and saying, hey, in, you know, we have sponsors on the podcast, but every now and then there's a brand that maybe has a niche enough product that it just doesn't make sense for them to advertise on a podcast that goes out to tens of thousands of people. Or, or even hundreds of thousands of people, but it do, they do want to get in front of the audience. And so I say, why don't you give us the best deals you can possibly give? And so a company like Trust and Will, which does online estate planning, it didn't make sense for them to advertise, but they, they wanted to participate in the membership. So if you're a member of all the hacks, you get 50% off estate planning. I don't think that deal exists anywhere else. I think that's the best deal that you can get for that product. Uh, and so we've been going to a handful of brands and, and products and saying, hey, what, what deals would you want to make to a really engaged audience of people that are really passionate and share products with their friends and love to optimize their lives? And so we've built this discount-based membership where you know, right now there's probably six or seven deals. Um, we did a deal with Any Day, which is this amazing line of microwave cookware that sounds crazy until you go listen to the episode I did with David Chang. Um, who's like a mm. three-time James Beard uh, award-winning chef. And he talks all about how he cooks in the microwave and that he thinks the microwave, this will blow your mind, he thinks the microwave is the most efficient and best way to cook a lobster. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, you can you imagine buying a very expensive thing cooking in the microwave? And we've since been using the microwave a lot. So I reached out to any day and I was like, 
do you want to give a better deal than you give to anyone else for members? And I'll talk about it. I'm talking about it right now. They didn't yeah. pay me anything. I don't make an affiliate uh, commission on any of the member deals. And so we're really trying to drive all the value back to members. So to come back to your original question, we're going to offer trips to members first. And if we don't fill the trip from members, we'll open it up to everyone else. But uh, we'll probably be doing an Iceland trip in the fall, in the spring of 2024, a Japan trip in the fall of 2024. Uh, we did another episode on Japan. And then we'll see how those two go and see where we go from there. Wow. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool how it's sort of uh, transformed from the initial format and then all the stuff that you have the flexibility to pivot into. Yeah, I think so. I grew. I, I was an entrepreneur before this. I've, I've run a couple like venture back tech companies. So when I started a podcast, I was like, "Well, what could this be?" Like, you know, we have this engaged community of people that love to optimize. What products and services would they be excited about? Um, and I talked to a mentor of mine who was an investor I knew and started a few companies. And he said, "Gosh, I remember when my was young, my dad and th- this guy's in his 60s, 70s. So like, this was a long time ago. He's like, he had this card that he paid an annual fee for. And then he got like 20% off at all these restaurants. And it was amazing. And I was like, all these things have existed, but they're all tied to something else. They're tied to a credit card. They're tied to something. What if you could just build the best membership? Um, and my wife spent 10 years at Lyft doing BD and partnerships and has done deals with Hilton and Disney and JetBlue and Delta. And so like Chase. So she's done all these like amazing, massive partnerships. So she and I just had this idea of like, let's work on this together and let's go build the best membership and let's get to 40 million members because trip or because AARP, I might've said AAA before, AARP for millennials, like AARP has 39 million. So we want to beat them at their own game. Doug, before we continue, and start the actual interview. I want all of this shit. I want to go to Iceland in the spring. I want Japan I in the fall. And I'm obsessed with the microwave. I cook scrambled eggs in the microwave. Have you ever done that before, Doug? And not not in a while. M- Mindy yells at me, you can't cook in the microwave. I'm like, dude, all the microwave is, it's applying heat to the food, but in a different way. Yeah. She's like, you can't cook in there. I'm like, yeah, I can. Watch me. So I am totally, what, what was it? Any line? So any day. Any cook day. Any day. Okay. Dot com. I'll say listeners can get 15% off with the code hacks 15, but members get 20% off. So, and and real quick, I don't want to bury this. We'll mention it again at the end, but where can people go to join your membership program? It's just all the hacks.com slash join. Cool. Um, Simple. Yeah. So, jumping back to, you know, all the research that you enjoy doing and optimizing and like getting all the information possible, it's a superpower, but I'll also call it an affliction. In, in a yeah. loving way, but okay, what, what's the, what's the origin of that? Were you always like really obsessed with learning more and more and more? So this is something I've struggled with. Cause I, I want to know the origin story and I've asked my parents and I, I wouldn't say I've perfectly pieced it together because there are elements of optimization before I, what I thought was the origin story. So I thought the origin story was that I went to boarding school and Almost every kid in my boarding school, except me, had their parents' credit card. And so everyone could do whatever they want. And I couldn't. So I was like, okay, how do I do the same things? Because, I, you know, you're a kid. You want to keep up with everyone else. Everyone else is ordering pizza. I want to order pizza at night. But I, like, I didn't have my parents' credit card, so I couldn't order pizza. And I didn't grow up, uh, you know, you know in, a, in a bad financial situation. We were kind of upper middle class family. But I just didn't have a job. And I didn't have my parents' credit card, so I couldn't order pizza. So I was like, hmm. And, and I just had this... I guess knack for trying to find a way to do the things that everyone else is doing 
live kind of, as Ramit would say, your rich life, but without having to spend the money. And so I would order pizza and then I would sell it by the slice because there were a lot of other people who wanted pizza, but like they didn't eat a whole pizza. So I'd buy a, I'd literally order a Domino's pizza with eight slices, sell six to cover the cost of the pizza and then eat two. And so that was like my, my high school hack. But I also remember sometime before then, I really wanted to go to concerts and they were kind of expensive. And these weren't like big, big concerts, but they're like, you know, small, medium sized concerts. So I just created like a magazine that I printed on like a printer in our house and folded over and stapled. And I don't know, you guys probably remember like back in the day they they sold like these like indie zines at like little bookstores. So I made something that looked like that. And I was like, I've got this magazine. Can I come uh, write up about the show? And I'd get, you know, like a free ticket to the concert. And so, um, I don't know. It's always like, is there a way to get the thing without spending the money? Where I think I butted heads with the Phi community was like, it wasn't about not doing the thing. Like my my world of optimization and frugality was, I always want to do the thing. I just want to do it without spending the money. And I think that's that's the the perspective I try to bring to all the hacks. And we had this joke. I ran a financial planning firm. And we had these like degrees of fire. And it was like, one was like, I want to, and we, the lowest one was rake fire, which was like, you, you will build a rake from sticks in your yard before you buy a rake. And and that was like, we kind of always joked about the spectrum. And I was like, I want to find a way to get the the rake from Home Depot. And, but I'm going to do it when it's on sale. And I'm going to buy a Home Depot coupon on Craigslist for a dollar. And I'm going to buy my Home Depot gift card at the grocery store where I get 4X points. Uh, and I'm going to use, you know, a Rakuten portal to get cash back. So like, I, I, I'm, st- but I'm still getting the new rake, the rake I want, you know, that that's my way of doing the thing. Um, that's maybe a little different. And so I think it probably started in childhood. Um, and then it kind of got a little more aggressive after because I went in, I didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Uh, I graduated college. Um, I actually finished college a year early, but didn't know you were supposed to get a job when you graduated. I know it seems so obvious now <laughs> that we all like work and have been through it. But so I graduated in the th- after three years and they were like, oh, oh do you want to like graduate? And I was like, yeah. And so I was like, what are you going to do for a job? And I was like, I don't know. And they're like, well, you're supposed to get a job before you leave school. And I was like, maybe I'll just do that fourth year. Like <laughs> maybe I'll figure this out next year. And then even the next year, I didn't figure it out in time. And so I ended up getting a job and I worked in investment banking and it was miserable. I did not enjoy it at all. And I was like, oh, this is this is professional life. And then I, I switched to a job in management consulting. I was like, oh, this is not good either. And so I was like, man, if I don't like working, life is going to be pretty miserable. And if I don't want to work and I need to save as much money as possible so that I never have to work again. And that's where I kind of haphazardly fell into financial independence, which was really just my way of saying, save as much money as you can so you don't have to work because I don't seem to find, I hadn't found a job I loved. And so that, but I didn't want to not do cool stuff. Like I was, you know, I was professional. I was working in good jobs. People were doing cool stuff. And so right around then I went deep on the points and miles world uh, so that my wife and I could still travel and go do crazy adventures. We just didn't want to spend money because we wanted to save it all because I didn't want to do a job that sucked. (laughs) (laughs) And how long did you work in a traditional job for? So I worked in management consulting, investment banking for two or three years. Um, I worked in startups, which I actually liked. Uh, but, you know, I joined a company and then it didn't work out. And then I joined a company, it kind of didn't work out. And we sold it. And then I went to Google and I had a job that I didn't love. Then I found a job I kind of loved. But three years later, I feel felt like I, I needed more skills to level it up. And 
I started a company and it didn't work out. So I found a bunch of different jobs. It was probably 10, 12 years of till, till kind of financial independence, if you will. Um, yeah, I think, I think in playing with fire, I said at 30. So that would have been when I, when I was 30, so maybe nine years, uh, before that, but I, financial independence for me is not, not working. It's just being in a place that you know, that if everything went crazy, you could be okay somewhere. But if I want to stay living in the Bay Area, that's very different from like, I want to go live in Thailand. So I think I hit be okay somewhere in my at 30, but I still wanted to keep going. What did you study in uh, college? So I studied, well, so I, when I went to college, I was like, I want a business degree. <laughs> I was like, I want to do business. <laughs> and I don't know if I knew exactly what that meant, but I was like, I like business. I like, I want to start companies, do interesting things. That's what I want to do. Uh, and then I first I found out that like half the schools don't do business as an undergraduate thing. So I was like, well, those schools are off the table. Can't go there. Uh, and then I realized business was not the degree. You had to like pick a concentration within business. And it was like, do you want to do mark? I think at my school, it was marketing management, finance. Uh, there's a better name for it. It was like computer information systems and man. And I can't remember the other one, but anyways, I went in, I was like, well, and accounting. I was like, well, you probably hire an accountant and a person to do your finances at a company. And I'm not going to be the IT person. And management seems like something that everyone's going to need to do, but it's not really a, a, a role. Why would I study management? Uh, marketing. <laughs> so I, I studied marketing, but by no means would I say I learned a lot uh, about marketing in college. I don't think, I think it's maybe more fundamentals than anything practical. So I studied business marketing, but I would say I learned a lot more in in college about being entrepreneurial and learning and, you know, communicating than I did about actually running a business, which I think you kind of just have to do to figure out. Sure. Yeah. It sounds like, you know, with your origin story, like reselling the pizza, like, yeah, you're, you're a business person. <laughs> that's what I thought, you know, but so I was like, okay, business, that's what I want to do. Cool. Yeah. What misconceptions do people have about hacks, life hacks? Yeah, so there's this guy, Rich Roll, and he wrote this, uh, he has this great YouTube video where he's like talks about how he hates hacks. And I got a chance to sit down with him and I was like, I'm surprised you sat down with me because you hate hacks. And he's like, I don't hate hacks. I hate people, I hate shortcuts that are trying to teach people that they don't have to put in the work. You're putting in the work to get a deal. I have no problem with that. And so I think there's this, these two camps that, that hacks are people who don't want to put in the work versus hacks are ways to put in the work and get a better outcome. And I think those are the two camps. And I, you know, I talked about insurance, like by no means does it make sense for any rational person to spend 50 hours to ultimately save like $200 a year. Like that is a bad use of time. Uh, so I wouldn't call that like a shortcut by any means, but I did it mostly because I was, I enjoyed it. So if you, if you enjoy like going through this process of learning and understanding something deeply, you know, I wouldn't consider that a waste of time, uh, unless there was something you'd rather do. It's even better that I get to share it and, and hear stories of people saving lots of money. But I don't, I don't think hacks in my book are necessarily ways to, to kind of cheat and, and, you know, shortcut hard work. But there are certain ways where if you want to buy a business class ticket to Europe, there are a couple ways to do it. You could spend $10,000. You know, you could find a, a sale and maybe go on a, an airline that has really strict policies for $5,000. Or you can open up a credit card, put $3,000 of spend on it and go on the points for free. And, and by free, I mean, the trade-off might be if you used a cashback card, you would have gotten 
you know, $400 of cash back in that same period of time and your taxes are a hundred bucks. So yes, you spent 500, but you didn't spend 5,000 or, or the opportunity cost was 500. So, so I won't say points are free, but it certainly feels a lot more free and it didn't cost 5,000. So that's what I think of when I think of hacks. I don't think of, you know, these, these silly little things like, Ooh, the hack of don't, don't buy coffee to save $3. Like, I think those are, those get caught up in the world of hacks. Um, so I like optimizations a lot better uh, than hacks. Have you have you tried something that you thought it was going to work out as an optimization or hack, and it just didn't work out, and you you couldn't get it to pan out like you thought it was going to? Any any failures? I mean, I fail all the time, so I, I, I think if I <laughs> thought about this for a few minutes, there'd be an infinite number of them. Uh, most of the failures are a, a result of a waste of time, but. Here's one. Uh, I don't know if this is a perfect answer to what you said, but it's something that uh, I'll share and I think it makes sense. So we bought a couch and we bought this couch at Macy's Furniture, which I'm not sure I could recommend to anyone, but we bought a couch, nice couch. And when we bought it, they had this warranty. And they said, if you buy this warranty for $200, uh, and it was about, a, I think it was like an $800 couch, just to put everything in context, $200 in the next five years, if it has any stains, any problems, uh, you can get that couch completely repaired or replaced, no questions asked. And I was like, well, we got two kids. Like, we had a dog. Seems like a good deal. And and by the way, if you don't use the warranty after five years, they give you the $200 you spent on it in store credit. It's like, this seems like a no-brainer. Okay, so I buy this thing. About a year in, we're like, gosh, dogs, we, we let the dog sit on the couch for the first year. It was a white couch and a bad choice. So like, couch is really messy, but that was within the scope of the warranty. So I called them. I said, can you come clean this couch? So they came and cleaned the couch and they ended up leaving another stain on the couch. And I was like, this is ridiculous. So I, we call them back. We're like, you guys came to clean the couch and you left another stain. And then they were like, well, we don't clean repeat damage. I was like, this isn't repeat damage. This is you guys created a stain in a different place. And my wife and I are so frustrated and we've probably at this point we've emailed or called this warranty service company, which is not Macy's, but it's another company worry no more. Like a lot of times, you know, we've probably spent a collective 10 hours on this. Right. And they came back to us finally after escalating and escalating and filing a dispute and requesting a third party to review it. They came back and said, we'll either replace the couch with the exact same couch or we'll give you $300. What do you want to do? And my wife and I are like, Ugh. so we drove to Macy's and we were like, do we really have to get the same couch or like, can we get some credit and get something different? Because we realized white couches and kids is a terrible idea. And the guy's like, oh, I don't know. It's really tough to figure this out. We were stressed out. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll just try to clean the stain that the guy made. And like 20 minutes later, the stain's gone. And I was like, we spent like 30 hours trying to optimize getting our value from the warranty. And I just cleaned the stain in 30 minutes. Um, but I think for like for the principle, I was like, you guys caused this. I want you to fix it. I want to get this all resolved. And so sometimes I think you just have to ask yourself, like, what is the end result I want? And is is getting the best deal here actually the same as the best outcome? And in this case, I cleaned it. And then we took the $300 check and you know, I feel, you know, I feel better, but I, at the time it was just, it was a total waste of time. Uh, and I, I should have just been like, could we clean this? And if so, move on. Yeah. Man. Or even Perfect. hired someone, by the way, I could have just hired someone probably to come clean the couch for $50 or a hundred dollars or I don't know what a couch cleaning service costs, but I bet it's yeah. not $300. 
Man, that that's a great one. I, I can't think of a specific example where I've wasted time like that. There's probably like endless, I'm going to think of it later, but Carl, do you have any examples where you're like trying to get the value from what you've paid, you know? Yeah, I have a fairly recent one too, which will draw us into our next question, but I rented an EV in Las Vegas. It was a Chevy Bolt and they said, if you don't bring it back fully charged, we're going to charge you like 25 bucks. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure I bring this thing back charged. So I went to charge it about halfway through my rental and it said like some kind of fault, it cannot charge. I'm like, oh shit. So I call up Hertz. I'm like, hey, I can't charge this thing. They're like, do you want to bring it back? I'm like, no, actually I've got enough. I've got enough juice left on the batteries to do the rest of my trip. It's fine. I just don't want to get charged for this. Sure enough, I bring it back and I get this charge. And I spent all this time on the phone. I call up Hertz and you're trying to get a person on there. Then I called up, uh, who else did I call up? I called up the, the, the credit card company to file a report on them. On there for like two hours. I'm like, what the fuck am I doing this to try to save 25 bucks? I just wasted two hours of my life, but it's hard to get past yourself sometimes. Yeah. I think we hate getting penalized and paying fees. And like, it's just in our DNA to fight that. It's like if someone asked you if you would have spent, if, if they said, hey, if you can take this two hour survey, we'll waive the $25 fee, you probably would have been like, absolutely not. But if they charge you the $20 fee and they're like, if you take this to our survey, we'll, we'll get rid, you know, like it's like, it's our, our brain is like, if we've already paid it, okay, fine. I'm not going to work two hours for $25. But if you're, if you, if it's to avoid a fee or a penalty or something that you didn't, you know, if it's a mistake and you paid something you didn't need to. Um, but one hack for this that I just learned. So I hate, uh, I used to hate ordering groceries online because there's all kinds of downsides to it uh most notably like oh this thing wasn't in stock so we replaced your blueberries with that your fresh blueberries with like blueberry popsicles or something You're like, this is not the same thing <laughs> i felt like there was a string of time where that was happening and uh, then the replacements might not be good you pay the the delivery fee the service fee the tip and i was just kind of annoyed by it but a byproduct of ordering your groceries online was i ordered groceries and we got some raspberries and like a day later they're moldy or or and then just last week we got apples and we bit into them and they're like there's like black in the apple and we're like well this is not an apple i want to eat when you order your groceries online it's very easy to just go on and say this is bad and then if you order from amazon they're like great you don't need to ship the rotten apple back we'll just refund you and so i would have struggled I would have been okay with it, but I would have been annoyed that I had paid for these apples and I could get my money back if I drove to the grocery store, but I don't want to. And so ordering them online has prevented that that stress of I want to get my money back because I feel like I don't want to pay for something that I, you know, that I didn't get my value for, but I also don't want to waste my time. And so that was a, a good one. One time I did drive back to the store, but I bought a jackfruit. And uh, jackfruit, if you haven't been to Southeast Asia or seen one, are these massive, massive fruits that are I like to describe as like kind of in between a pineapple and a banana. And I'm really bad at guessing weight. And so they were on sale at Whole Foods. <laughs> and it was like, you know, it, was, it said like marked down from $7.99 to $4.99. And my cousin's vegan and he'd never had a jackfruit. So I feel like finding a new fruit to show to a vegan is like, you know, it's like how often does a vegan get to try a new food? Almost, I never get to introduce food to him. So I buy this jackfruit. And then after I've rung it up, I'm like, I just spent $45 on a piece of fruit. <laughs> like, <laughs> it turns out it was like 11, like it was like a massive thing. And so, and the next day it was moldy and we couldn't eat it. And I was like, 
I have to drive this back. It was $45. Like I can't. So for that amount, I drove it back. But for everything else, I just return it online and I feel a lot better about it. How did your cousin like it? Uh, he didn't think it was as good as I thought, but his kids who are also vegan, like loved it. And I think it's my daughter's favorite fruit. So cool. Strong plug for jackfruit. If anyone has not had one. All right. I, I think I've had it before, but it's been like a super long time. Have you had one? Uh, I have. We do have some vegan friends who had us over and they made, I think it's one of those kind of things that if you prepare it right, will take on the flavor of other stuff, kind of like tofu. So they had done some kind of, I think, barbecue concoction from it. And I uh, got to say, I don't, th- I don't think I enjoyed it, but I really, so 40, there, 45 bucks too. So there's, there's, if it's, if it's not ripe, it's almost like a meat alternative that you can make barbecue or you know tofu like you said if it is ripe it's a fruit like it's a sweet delicious i mean if you like fruit uh a sweet delicious fruit so i would say don't let your jackfruit meat alternative sway or or steer you away from trying the fruit and in many grocery stores that have jackfruit you can buy it cut in fourths or something and and it's not that expensive uh this one was like enough to feed you know, 12 people like for five days in a row. So this was, and honestly, like I wouldn't have spent that much if I had been, if I just put it on the scale, I would have been like, oh, let's get a smaller one. But I was like, oh my God, like $4.99 a pound. This is the cheapest thing ever. I just forgot that it was like 11 pounds. (laughs) Cool. Jackfruit people do not send us angry messages. I will give it another try. (laughs) All right. I want to take a little bit of a, a left turn and talk about Die With Zero. So you had Bill Perkins on, um, Carl and I have checked out the book. We checked out that episode too. What are some of your big takeaways? Like, did you change your viewpoint? Did you change anything about your life after reading Die With Zero? So we changed one thing immediately. So I asked this question in this interview and I asked, you know, I I get stuck all the time trying to figure out how to get the most value out of all the points I have and all this stuff. And Bill's like, you're optimizing for the wrong thing. Instead of trying to get the most value of your points, optimize for taking the trip. Like, it seems like that's what you should be focused on. And if anyone hasn't heard, hasn't listened to any, any of his stuff or read his book, highly encourage you. Um, for my show, it's episode 91. So just allthehacks.com slash 91. Um, and I was like, you're right. And my wife has never been to London. And she's always thought it'd be a fun trip to take. And she loves winter. And we, she grew up in the mountains in Steamboat, Colorado, and now we live in San Francisco. So there's really no winter. And I think this interview came out on Dece- in December last year. And we were like, why don't we take a trip to London? Like, what a great time of year. Uh, it doesn't really snow in London, though it turns out it actually did snow when we went to London. So that was cool. Um, so we just booked a trip like two days later. Like, at, at, and we didn't worry about uh, how many points it was going to take or how much dollar, how many dollars it was going to cost. We were like, if the goal is to maximize your net fulfillment in life, not maximize your net worth, what are we doing? Like, we have the points, we have the money, we want to take the trip. Why are we waiting for the best deal? Let's just take the trip. So that was one ta- tangible thing. And then the second was, you know, we had a kind of like couple review where after the kids go down, we're kind of talking about what's important to us and our life and our goals. And we get to money. And my wife and I are talking about you know, where we're at with our net worth and, you know, whatever net worth you have, you seem to always have another milestone in mind. You know, you're at 50 grand, you want to get to 100 grand. You're at 100 grand, you want to get to 200 grand. Like, you know, if you're at 
five grand, you want to get to 10 grand. It doesn't matter where you are. You're at 10 million, you want to get to 20 million. Like at every step of the way, it seems like we always have a, a goalpost at the next one. And my wife says, you know, and let's use some round numbers. So like, let's say we were at eight and we, she's like, oh, I think I want to get to 10. And, and, and I'm saying eight, not as a million or a hundred thousand, just a number, just to kind of illustrate a point. And I was like, why? She's like, well, like we, we got this far. We should get to the next point. And I was like, what if we just like stayed here and we just spent the money and we didn't get a greater net worth? She's like, hmm, that's interesting. Like we had this like weird point in our lives where we basically stopped caring about increasing our net worth. It was no longer a goal. And I say this from a place of we saved for a really long time. We've had a bunch of fortunate things in our lives. And I think we have a net worth that is enough that whenever we retire, it, it will work for our retirement. And we both have jobs, or I guess we both work on a podcast now. So we, <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that, how that works. But like, we like working. We don't want to stop working. And so our costs cover our lifestyle. So why do we need to save more if we've saved enough to be able to retire? Um, and, and I don't mean retire today, but retire when we're done working, which might be never, right? I, I find that so many people that hit financial independence stop working and then they start some side project and they end up making money on that side project. And then they realize, oh, wow, I could have I either done this earlier and quit the job I hated earlier, or now I could do more things. And so, you know, when you, when you don't have to do a job you don't love, you end up getting more creative and finding other ways to make money. So we kind of realized we were at a place where between the money we make and the money we've saved, we don't really need to, to increase our net worth. And if we want to actually be happier and do more things that we enjoy in life, maybe we actually need to spend more money. So instead of adding to our net worth, let's see what we could spend money on. And so we started doing a couple interesting things uh, in the last few years of oh, let's go on a trip here or there, or let's enroll our kid in a class, or let's take a lesson or buy a thing that we maybe wouldn't normally buy, but it gives us the spontaneity to do things we want. Uh, for I think you guys might sympathize with something like this, but I always hate renting things that seem like it costs so much, such a high percentage of the cost to buy things. So like, you know, stand up paddleboard, you know, stand up paddleboard, you could buy a, a f I'm sure someone's an aficionado here and is going to negate what I say, but you could find a decent stand up paddleboard for a couple hundred bucks. But to rent one, it seems like it's like 40 or 50 bucks. It seems so crazy to rent something four times when you could own it, which steers me away from ever renting it in the first place, but I don't own it. And so finally, we're like, let's just buy a couple stand-up paddle boards because the weather's nice. And there's this great place 20 minutes from here that's like a, you could just paddle around and put a life jacket on the kids and maybe take them out or at least the, the one that's a little older for now. Let's just do that. And like, we wouldn't have done that before. But, you know, when you have kids, it's all about how you, like, how are you going to spend this time with your kids on the weekend? And you're always looking for activities. So, you know, instead of just sitting at home or going to the park, now we have a new activity it's something that's fun. It's outdoors. You, know, you get some sunshine. You get in the water. It seems great. And normally, I feel like we would have said that was an unnecessary purchase. And not that I love owning a bunch of stuff, but I just feel like that was so much easier with a perspective of trying to maximize our net fulfillment in life instead of our net worth. And that sh switch has changed perspectives on so many different things. That's awesome. What about yeah. you guys? Yeah, well, one thing actually similar to what what you were saying, I found I'm not a I'm not very good at uh, credit card points. I, I do a couple things, but I'm not a big 
travel hacker type person, but I was hoarding points. So in the same way in the fire community that we like keep throwing money on the pile, I was just accumulating more and more airline points. And I'm like, what the fuck am I going to do with these? So I started to cash them in because like take the trip now, like do something. Otherwise I'm going to, you know, potentially have millions of points that I'm sitting on that I never use. So I, I'm starting to do that like right away. The other big thing from the book was time bucketing. So it was, it was not in the front of my mind, but I, I was kind of aware like, Hey, I'm not going to be able to do as much stuff in the future. And we're trying to do a handful of things, but Bill points it out so clearly that in 10 years, like you may not be able to physically do the same stuff. And we literally like tried to, to bucket some things to make sure we have like a general idea of the timeline and everything will change. You know, maybe we'll be healthier longer and be able to do some more stuff like that. But time bucketing was the biggest thing for me. What about you, Carl? Yeah, I thought that book was great. Uh, I'm kind of jaded and there's very few things that I read uh, nowadays that change my mind on anything. But one of the points I'd like, and I'd like to hear what you think about this, Chris, since you have kids too, is um, uh, someone we know, one of our relatives said, when we die, we're going to leave you a lot of money. And uh, that's great. I'm so thankful for that. But by the time that happens, like if they did it now, it wouldn't really move the needle on our life that much. We're pretty happy. We've made... Yeah, we have all we need pretty much right now. So one of the things Bill talks about in that book is giving away money to your kids when they're in their early 30s. I think he says 32 to 36, and you could make a huge difference. Like if I would have had that money, like I still had debt at that point in my life, it would have made a huge difference. So I think that's one thing we're going to do. As long as we know our kids aren't going to flub it up, we're going to give them money and help them out in a very big way when they're young, like maybe even buy them a house or something like that, because that could just propel their life decades ahead. I love that. Uh, it's funny because we put together our estate plan, which is, you know, really like just a fancy way of saying we don't want all of our finances aired and dealt with legal problems in probate courts and all that kind of stuff. But when we decided, oh, what do we want to do with our money and our kids? We were like, well, let's give, I can't remember the exact years. So this is a little embarrassing, but I think we said we'll give them you know, like a third, like half at 25 and half at 35, or maybe it was half at 30, half at 40. And then when I was talking to Bill, I was like, well, that's so interesting. We decided that it's okay for our kids to to inherit money before, you know, they're in their, you know, 50s or however old the average person is when their parents, you know, pass away. When If we die, but if we are alive, totally different story. And so uh, that, that made me think about that in a different way. And there are ways to do it that aren't even giving it away. It's like you could, you know, offer to buy their down payment, you know, you could say like, I, I'm going to contribute 30% to your house. And you could say, and, and you could keep the option value. You'd be like, we'll, we'll pay the down payment. You pay the house. We'll own 25% of it or something. And then you could decide later, do you actually want to call that loan or do you want to gift it to them? You know, you can make some choices differently. There's a lot of ways to do it, but I love that idea of giving things away because you get to see the impact, right? Yep. If you leave all your money to a charity, if you leave it to a charity, 10 years earlier, you get to see what impact it has. You know, there are some charities, uh, you know, Charity Water, I think is the best example of this, where you give money and they tangibly show you the impact it has. So like you give money to a well project 
and they will send you the GPS coordinates of the well. They'll send you pictures of people drinking water out of the well you funded. Um, you know, some charities are a black box where it just kind of goes off and it's like you gave money and you know that it's to a good cause and they're doing lots of cool stuff. But that was really cool um, when they started doing that because it's like, oh, you see the impact your money has. Well, you don't see it if you're already dead. Um, so look, not everyone has enough money that they're confident they won't run out before they're into their lives. In the case, most, the majority of people are not in that place. But for those people that are, it's kind of cool to see the impact it has, see the joy. And so I think, I don't love the idea of giving your kids money before they've kind of figured out their professional life and, you know, giving them incentive to not figure that out. But right now, you know, if my parents were to, you know, give us any money, it's not going to change whether I want to work on this project. You know, my sister, if she inherited some money, she's not going to quit her job. She's probably going to use it to start some interesting project or start a company or, you know, send her kids to, you know, a different school. I don't know. I don't know what she would use it for, but I know it wouldn't really change her life or my life in a way that I think my parents would be disappointed. So, but I think it's impo- It's very hard to talk to parents about money. So I'll just, I'll just make that plan for myself in the future. And I have a kind of in the weeds question, but you mentioned your estate and maybe setting up a trust and stuff. Do you have an approximate number of hours that it took you and your wife and whatever legal team to put that together? I'm just curious. My wife and I have a will, but we don't have the trust set up. And I'm just curious. So we, we used trust and will before they, they offered such a great deal to uh, members of all the hacks. And I would say it takes a couple hours to answer all the questions. And it takes as long as it takes for you to decide the answers to a couple of questions. So, you know, filling out the, the questionnaire to get these docs created. Look, if you have more than, I can't remember the estate limit now, is it like 11 million a person? So 22 million. If 22 million is in, you know, line of sight, then, you know, you probably want to hire someone to do this because you're going to cross the gift tax threshold and there's all kinds of advanced strategies. I did a podcast episode on estate planning and half of it was talking to uh, a lawyer actually from Trust and Will just about like, when is automated trust and estate planning work and who does it not work for? And then I talked to a guy who runs a company called Valor, which is like all the super advanced tactics when it comes to trust. Grats, CRTs, like the kind of crazy stuff. Uh, but a lot of those things don't matter unless you're going to cross the gift tax threshold, which is like, a, I'm going to probably misquote it, but I thought it was like 11 or something million per person. So if you're not there, it doesn't matter. What it does do is give you a lot more control about what happens to your money. It doesn't have to go through probate, which in some states is really expensive and public record. And it's just a mess. And, you know, the courts kind of decide. And so in a way, everyone has an estate plan. Just like funny enough, everyone has a, um, a prenup. It's just whatever the laws of your state are. So it's, do you want the laws of the state to decide what happens to your money? Or do you want something that you've drawn up to decide? It took us a couple hours. What took a long time was, who do you want to be the guardian of your children? Like, you know, it seems like a question that when you don't have to commit it to paper, it seems obvious. And then you're like, well, you know, a lot of people, I think by default, choose their siblings. And then you're like, hmm. Now that I actually have these kids and like, I want them to be raised in a certain way. Maybe for us, travel's really important. We want them to see the world. Maybe my siblings don't value that. I'm not saying mine don't, my, you know, but, but like maybe you realize that the people that might do the best job raising your kids in the way you would want to might not actually be your brother or your sister. It might actually be a friend or a close, close other family member or a cousin or something. 
And so I think that took a little bit of time. And the person who oversees your kids doesn't have to be the same person that oversees the, the finances. And in many cases, it might actually be better. So I have a friend who I trust whose kind of job is to, you know, manage the finances of our estate. And then I have, you know, we have someone else whose job is to be the guardian of our children. And that friend's job is to make sure that all the money that's needed for, they call them HEMS clauses. And I think it's like health, education, I don't know, maintenance and support. I can't remember what all the letters are, but it's like, you know, they have discretion to use the money in whatever way is necessary for those four things. Um, So if you don't want to do crazy, fancy stuff, um, where you're like, well, I want my kids to get money, but only if they get a 3.2 GPA or higher. And if not, you know, burn it all. Or like you could, you could you do whatever <laughs> you want. But yeah. uh, I've been told uh, that it is potentially very disadvantageous to make kind of very specific recommendations in a estate plan because what happens if your kid ends up having a late uh, disability? Now they can't get a 3.2 because they're disabled and you know they're not able to go to school normally. It's like, now do you want this thing that you set into law to be able to dictate what happens? Or do you just want to find a person you trust and give them discretion, uh, you know, which is the path we took? No judgment if you take either path, but yeah. Sure. So a couple hours uh, okay. to do the practical stuff. And then as long as it takes for you to align on you know, what decisions you want to make about everything else. But I I think so many people put it off because they think it's going to take forever. And Mm -hmm. if you need to go find an attorney and meet with them and do all this stuff, yeah. Funny enough, the longest thing is once you do it, depending on the state you're in, you may have to have a notary to sign things. And many people might not know this, but if you, your bank, if you have a traditional brick and mortar bank, they're probably a notary and they'll notarize whatever you want for free, except for estate planning documents. So, you you know, in many cases, like you can't, even though Wells Fargo might notarize anything for you, they're probably not going to notarize your estate planning documents. So uh, Hmm. you do need to go get them noticed. So step two is sometimes the law. I think for us, it was like two hours to fill out the thing, like five hours to decide what it says and like three weeks to actually get it notarized. (laughs) Carl, do you guys have an estate and all this stuff? We are working on all of that right now. Cool. Yeah. It sounds overwhelming, but we have a simple situation. I don't have kids. We have a dog that we'll have to think really hard about that, but... um, Otherwise, pretty straightforward and simple. All right. Well, we're starting to wrap up. Carl, we got a couple more questions. You want to hit those? Yeah, I would ask you, Chris, this one actually is not on our outline, so I'm sorry about that. But do you have a favorite episode you've done or perhaps a favorite hack? Ooh. Favorite episode is always the hardest because I like them all. But I will say, I mean, I've already talked about Bill Perkins, so definitely check that out. I did an episode with a guy named Arthur Brooks. And it's funny because I think I'm probably most known for, and if you look at the content that I do, you know, a decent amount of it is on travel hacks and uh, travel optimization and credit card points and miles. Uh, and so you'll find a lot of that. And I think they're all great. And I think it's an incredible way. It's probably one of the biggest variable expenses we have that we can cut back. Like it's very hard. You know, there's house hacking to cut back housing costs, but it's hard to cut back a lot of costs. But travel, I think you can really cut back if you play the game right. Um, but this episode was not that this is episode 47, all the hacks.com slash 47. And it was about happiness and how to find it. And, and it was just very interesting because what Arthur talks about is these two kind of curves in life, your, your crystallized intelligence and your fluid intelligence. And I'm going to let you listen to get the full details. But the idea being you actually have these two different ways you 
operate in your life and in your early life, 20s, 30s, you're on this fluid intelligence curve and you can grind and you can push and you will be really fulfilled uh, in that kind of work. And then later in life, you, you have this crystallized intelligence curve. And as the fluid intelligence drops, the crystallized intelligence goes up and you see people are much more happy when they're not kind of pushing through and, and grinding for work, but they're leveraging the knowledge they've had over their life. And people that fail to make the jump from one curve to the other end up quite unhappy. And so he talked about um, how, I think it was Darwin, uh, Charles Darwin, never made the jump. And so up until the end of his life, he was trying to find more scientific discoveries and more, more this and more that. And the problem was there were just other younger newer scientists that were able to work harder and think differently and just you know he was miserable till the day he died and then mozart was like realized much much earlier that he basically couldn't create new music in a new style at the rate a lot of the younger composers were and he switched to teaching and he started teaching the kind of classical baroque music that he was kind of most famous for and was like the happiest person until he died uh, because he changed the way he worked. And we talked not just about that specific element, but Arthur's just like the biggest wealth of knowledge I've ever talked to about kind of finding happiness, finding success, finding your purpose and, and kind of living a fulfilled life completely outside of money. So it was like Bill Perkins was that, but the financial side. And this was that the other side. And so those were kind of two, I'd say like a little bit different style episodes than what I normally do. Um, but I don't know, I would say scroll through, look for a topic you're excited about, whether it's travel or money, uh, or cooking or really anything. And I would expect that you would find, uh, if you're listening to this show, like you'll probably enjoy the, the depth we go into, to making something more optimal in your life. Wow. That, that's amazing. I haven't heard that episode, but I think... I made the jump successfully and I often refer, I, I'm not familiar with this fluid versus uh, crystallized, but I often talk about like people in their twenties. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Like you have a lot more energy than me. I just don't have energy to work that hard anymore. I'm 44. So I'm just like, I just want to rest a little bit more, take a nap nice. maybe if you're tired. So, okay. That's fantastic. Um, Chris, this has been amazing. Carl, did you have anything else? No, that's all. Thank you, Doug. Oh, you told me to share a hack. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have plenty, but I will... Let me give one that I think is my favorite. And if, if you've listened to my show, you already know this. But next time you book a trip, forget whether you're using points, mile, like, let's, let's make this a hack for every single person. Next time you book a trip to a hotel, let's just say like with a restaurant. So like that level of hotel, book it directly with the hotel. And email the hotel before you go and say, hey, coming to stay with you, very excited to stay. Um, if you're celebrating a birthday, anniversary, anything, t let them know and just say, excited to come. And then remind them three, two, three, four days before, hey, still coming, still excited. That's it. I would, I think I've probably from listeners gotten a 50% success rate of getting upgrade, you know, free bottle of champagne, comped parking, tickets for drinks at the bar, you know, what a corner room, better view, all kinds of stuff. Um, and the only thing that you need to do is just book direct, no Expedia, kayak, anything like that. Uh, and, and email the hotel. That's it. Cool. 
I'm going to try that. Yeah, that's awesome. Chris, uh, totally amazing. Thanks for spending the time with us this morning. Where should people find you? Everything I do is at allthehacks.com. I'm struggling to keep it all in the navigation bar because as we keep adding, adding, adding things, I don't know where to put them. But yeah, you can find the podcast there. If you're listening to this, which you probably are, uh, you could just search all the hacks wherever you're listening or watching and you'll find it there as well. And sign up for the newsletter. I think you've been doing like more in-depth stuff, which I really enjoy. So I dig that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. We have a newsletter and a podcast and uh, a membership and more to come. Uh, so stay tuned and hopefully we can get you more deals. All right. Thanks. So yeah, we'll link up for everything and really appreciate it, Chris. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the mile high five podcast and I'm Doug Cunnington, the balder host and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using, and that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.